it's really difficult to find great executives. Spirit Consulting helps organizations find all-star executives and hire the right one using work psychology so you can serve more customers and grow your business. To get a free quote, go to spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to Virtuous Heroes podcast. Excited to be able to share the leader that we have on today. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, going to be a great day and great episode. I'm, uh, I love your story, and I'm really excited to be able to see how this is going to bless our audience. Our well, first... it's great to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our first question is always, who are you? Yeah, so uh, my name is Bruce Cush. Uh, I am the president of Ensign College in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, it's a school of about 2,000 students coming from all over the world. Uh, we primarily uh, teach uh, two-year programs. We're introducing some bachelor's degrees, but uh, we, uh, we have been a school since 1886, and we're an institution sponsored by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, I've been the president since April of 2017, and so it's a great experience. Um, in addition, probably most importantly, um, I, am, uh, I, have, I am the husband of my wife, Alinda. We've been married for 47 years and we have four children and 15 grandchildren. So yes, yes. that's me. Sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just, I, I didn't know you were going to keep going. I, just, I love the 15 grandchildren. That's so incredible. Yeah. Is it, is it weird for you to be living? So uh, like countercultural? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, living in Utah, uh, our family situation is pretty normal with um, many of the people around. But when I was living in California, for example, uh, I was one of the few people that was married and uh, one of the few people that had children. And uh, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, but it's been a great thing. Um, you know, uh, when I think about approaching 50 years of marriage, when I don't feel old enough to have been married that long. Uh, but when uh, my wife and I got married, we received a wedding card from some friends who had been married longer than we have now. And uh, in the card, they congratulated us on our wedding. And they said, just remember that the first 50 years are the hardest. So we figured <laughs> we've only got three more years to go, and then it's going to get easy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, I'm also curious. So... So um, just thinking about how many, what, what could you say to, to people that, that, you know, like in the, in the United States right now, the number of children is 1.67 per family. And that's, that means that we live in a dead society because if you don't, if you're, if the number of children that families are having isn't above two, then you're basically not replacing the husband and the father. So, so, and I would imagine that a lot of people are making those decisions based off of fear. Like, well, you know, we want to have our career and we need to be able to, you know, do this and we need to be able to have this income and do travel and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And obviously you and your family have gone a different road than that. So what can you, what would you say, Bruce, to that person that's living in fear and, and worried about having more children or being open to life, basically? Yeah, you know, um, the first thing I would say is don't be afraid. Uh, you know, when my wife and I married in 1974, uh, we wondered, 
you know, what was life going to be like for us when we got to this stage of our lives? Uh, and uh, it's a natural thing to wonder about. It's a natural thing to worry about. But to, uh, you know, to couples that are, that are thinking about children, uh, there's never going to be a perfect time, first of all, to have children. Uh, if you wait until you've got the house, the vacations, the cars, and, and you're well-established, that time may never come. Or if you wait for those things to arrive, uh, by the time they do, uh, you may, you know, it may not be a great time to be raising a family just because of, uh, because of age. Uh, I was 22 years old when I got married. That's really young. Uh, we had our first child uh, when I was uh, 24. And, um, you know, it's just uh, children have been a great blessing. They're, uh, they're, uh, we don't have any regrets about the family that we have. And uh, now the grandchildren that we have. So, you know, uh, there will always be challenges in our society. There will always be things to worry us. But I also believe, and uh, my wife and I are certainly very committed to this, that a husband and a wife committed to each other and committed to God uh, can raise uh, a righteous family regardless of their circumstances. And so, uh, you know, it's a matter of faith. It really is a matter of faith. And faith overcomes fear. And um, so I think that would be, be my advice. Yeah, I think what... What really resonated with me is my beautiful bride and I, we just had our one year wedding anniversary in June. And um, this is her first marriage, my, my second. And, and, you know, having children in your thirties is a lot harder than in your, in your twenties. We, we really weren't even trying and, and uh, we're blessed with the baby. And uh, now we're like desperately trying so hard and haven't been blessed. And so to your point about like, you don't, you know, if you if you put this plan in place of like, well, I'm going to have my life first before being able to have the family, it's not always guaranteed that basically like you're going to be able to have that family later in life. And so it's just you know speaking that message of like just being open, you know, being open to like whatever God wants to do in your life. And it's always He has the best plan anyway. So so it is incredible. And I think you know that is also the last thing that I wanted to just say is like, you know, I think about you know, some of the pain and suffering that I had to go through going through a, a pretty messy divorce and, and all the financial ramifications of that. But sure. then I think about that on one end versus like my other loves of my life, Christopher and Carter. And would I trade any, like, would I, would I trade them to have to avoid the suffering that I had to go through? Like, heck no, because, just, you know, having them in my life is the most important thing that I have ever been able to have in my life. And uh, yeah, so thank you for, for your words uh, and being a proponent of family and, and life and children. So that's awesome, Bruce. Can you tell us a little bit about your leadership journey and how you got to the leadership position that you're in today? Yeah, so I've kind of had um, two, two major professional, there's two major professional parts of, of me. Uh, there is a... Um, there's the academic part that I'm living now, and then there's the pre-academic part uh, that I lived for uh, uh, over 20 years in California. And let me do the California part first. So I worked uh, in the high technology industry 
uh, first in the Southern California area. And then uh, for the majority of my working life, uh, I lived in San Jose, California and worked in the high tech industry in Silicon Valley and uh, worked for a number of companies that uh, most people haven't heard of, although I did work for a few that I think people are probably familiar with. My last employer before getting into academia was IBM. I worked for Hitachi, a major Japanese company, and I worked for Logitech, which is a company that I think many people are familiar with, uh, the manufacturer of mice and keyboards and now speakers and cameras and, uh, and, and computer peripherals. And I had... I had opportunities for um, for gradual uh, progression through a leadership uh, path. Uh, probably, I, I guess my most uh, one of my most significant uh, experiences as a leader was at Logitech when I was uh, appointed the worldwide director of of sales to original equipment manufacturers, meaning all the computer manufacturers. So I traveled the world leading a sales team. Uh, selling to the likes of IBM and Apple and and Hewlett Packard and all of the major computer companies. Um, I then uh, eventually went to work as a vice president of sales and marketing for a, a Taiwanese company that has a subsidiary in the United States, and then uh, spent some time as the general manager of a supply chain consulting boutique firm in uh, in San Jose. And then I made the very conscious decision to leave the high-tech industry and the, the hectic pace of Silicon Valley. And I accepted a, a job, sought for, and accepted a position on the faculty at Brigham Young University, Idaho, in Rexburg, Idaho, which is in southeastern Idaho, about 90 minutes from uh, West Yellowstone and about 90 minutes from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And uh, uh, a much different climate than San Jose, California, a much different cultural environment than San Jose, California. And many of my friends said, Bruce, you're living my dream. You're going to a small town, relatively small town, college town, uh, college professor. And uh, it was a great, just a great, uh, a a great time and experience there. Um, When I had been there about six years, uh, I was asked to uh, take a role in academic administration. I was teaching in the business management department on the faculty there and being very content with being a teacher because that's what I wanted to be was a college professor. And I loved, I loved that work. But the uh, academic vice president came to me uh, one day and asked how I'd feel about accepting a, uh, an assignment with some responsibility to it. And he was a very close friend and mentor. And I said, Look, if, if it involves working for you, count me in, not knowing what he had in mind. And about a month later, um, he asked to visit with me again and asked me to assume uh, the role of associate academic vice president for curriculum, which I knew nothing about, <laughs> frankly. I, I had, I had, nobody could have been less prepared for, for that job than I was, but I was willing. And I suppose if there was anything that was necessary for preparation, that was, it was a willingness and so I, I sort of dove in and uh, uh, learned a great deal about uh, the workings from an administrative point of view uh, of, a, of a university that had 20,000 or so students that we served on an annual basis. And all the things that went into curriculum and managing curriculum and 
catalogs and all the things that are part of the curriculum offerings of an institution, uh, degree approvals and, and many, many things, working with the deans and the associate deans and faculty. It was a great experience. And uh, I did that for about four years. So, uh, uh, so 10 years total. During that time, I also uh, was working on and earned a, a PhD in instructional design from Idaho State University. And after uh, about four years in that role, my wife and I were asked to uh, accept a role uh, as the, the president of a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in South Central Mexico in Cuernavaca, which is about uh, 60 miles south of, of, of uh, Mexico City. Our mission was very large. It was 27,000 square miles. Um, we were there for three years. We drove about 300,000 kilometers. We spent 300 nights in hotels in a various quality um, around the, the area. We had about 600 missionaries from uh, 17 different countries uh, in Latin America. And it was, uh, it was a glorious experience. Uh, it's, uh, but nothing really prepares you for all of the things that we were called upon to do. So you got to take care of 600 young people, not all at one time. There were about 200 or so at any given time. Uh, we had, um, you know, large numbers from the United States, large numbers from Mexico, and large numbers from other places in Latin America. So I had to work with the local church leaders. I had to work with these young people. And we had to deal with some very trying uh, circumstances politically in the country during our time. After we had been in the country for about two years, uh, there was a, uh, a major uh, event, a tragedy, where 43 students were kidnapped and, uh, and were murdered. And uh, they just disappeared. They were from a, a teaching school a couple hours away from this town in our, in our mission. And I was there the day after this all happened. And it caused major disruption. There was violence. We had to protect the, our missionaries from, from a safety standpoint. And so there's a lot of leadership lessons that you learn as a result of that experience. So that was a three-year experience. Came back to Rexburg, Idaho, thinking that's where we would stay. And uh, was asked to take a role as an associate dean in online, our online programs efforts. After we'd been back in Rexburg about six months, I was contacted by the president of then LDS Business College, now Ensign College, regarding an opportunity to come uh, down to Salt Lake City and be the chief academic officer, which we decided we would do. Uh, so I did that for a year. And then uh, after a year was appointed the president. So there have been, as I look back, there have been a number of things that were preparatory uh, for what I'm doing now. Uh, my, my academic work, my academic studies, our work in Mexico, our, my work at BYU-Idaho, even my work before. I worked as a management consultant uh, for, uh, for a few years. And those things, those skills trained me uh, for the things I'm doing now, you know, so you sort of become the sum of all your experiences. 
Um, and so, you know, you start rather small uh, and you gradually build until you're asked to assume a role as the president of a, of a college, which is something I never aspired to. I never wanted to do. I never expected that I would do. And uh, it's, you know, if you, if you knew anything about my background, I, I came from a very you know, blue collar family. My dad didn't graduate from high school. My mother is a high school graduate. Uh, education and higher education wasn't necessarily something that was ingrained in me from my, from my parents' experience. And so to have had the opportunities that I've had and to do the things that I've been blessed to do, frankly, it's quite unlikely. I mean, it's, it's, it's I, unlikely that somebody like me would have ever ended up doing the things that I'm doing. But I, I feel that it was all part of a plan that God had for me and, and for us, my wife and I, that we didn't know uh, when, uh, when we got married. And, you know, you just, you just do your best and live your life. And somehow God moves you where he wants you and gives you the opportunities that he, he needs for you to have. So you're prepared to do the work that he needs you, for you to do at some point in time. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the things that the, the Lord is speaking to me about in the season. Just like I, as I reflect back even on my short career compared to that awesome uh, CV that you just rolled out, Bruce, is whenever I've, I've done either nonprofit work or ministry work, like I'm, I'm thinking like, okay, I'm going to go off and change the world or we're going to make this great impact. But I can see now how in those particular instances, Jesus was working on me in particular <laughs> on ways that I needed to be able to change in order to be ready for that next assignment that he had in mind for me. Yeah. absolutely. So, and like that, that's for me, you know, starting up a nonprofit and taking care of some, you know, impoverished children in and around my community through, through sports camps. Um, but for you, this is like an assignment, like, all right, head down to Mexico and, and take it, you know, work on this, this this mission trip with you know 600 people like i'm just i'm kind of dying to know like you know and and especially as you're saying like 43 people like dying and and under you know while you're in a leadership role that's that's crazy so what what do you think were your takeaways and how do you how do you feel like that prepared you for where you are today well uh you know you can't you can't live in another place like that without having it affect you profoundly. Uh, you know, my, my wife and I, as a young man, I spent two years as a missionary in Guatemala and El Salvador. So I, I learned the language. I, I learned to love those people. Uh, I learned to love the food. I learned to love, you know, everything about, about uh, the countries of Guatemala and El Salvador. And the same thing happened in Mexico. Um, you know, uh, Mexico became a part of us. And we, uh, when we meet someone from Mexico, you know, we usually, as we talk to them, I, I will say, in mi corazón, soy mexicano. Mm. You know, in my heart, I'm a Mexican. Um, and I, I hope they appreciate that. And, and one of the things we wanted the people to know was how much we loved them how much we loved their country, how much we loved their language, how much we loved their food. 
and just how much we loved living, you know, living with them, living amongst them, uh, was it just affected us profoundly. I will never be the same because of that experience. Uh, and and I hope that these young people that came to Mexico and were there with us will also never be the same because of the experiences that they had. Um, we, at the end of every meeting, we would sing a, a, a hymn that we all loved. In English, it's called uh, Hark All Ye Nations. And, um, and we sang at the end of every meeting. And the reason that we did was because we wanted our missionaries for the rest of their lives, if they were ever any place, and they heard that hymn sung, we wanted them to remember the experiences that they had in Mexico because it changed them too. And it's easy to come home and forget. You get, you know, you get busy with your life, and but you don't want to ever forget those things. And so, um, you know, uh, takeaways were, um, you know, the, the goodness of the Mexican people there's certainly plenty of problems down there, but there's plenty of problems in the United States as well. But they're hardworking, um, they're loving people, they're dedicated to their families. And, uh, you know, those are things that will, we felt their love and they felt our love. And that's probably the, the most important takeaway of all were the, the, the cherished memories of people that I still communicate with down there on a fairly regular basis. Have you been feeling unfulfilled? You want to be happy, but just continue to struggle. One of the best ways to experience joy is by caring for the homeless. A charity I've grown to love, River of Light, food rescues a million meals per year for the needy in Chicago. Imagine how that make you feel, knowing that you're helping feed children and veterans. To make a tax-deductible donation, visit riveralightchicago.org. Again, riverlightchicago.org. No one should go to bed hungry. Awesome. <clears throat> well, thank you for, for sharing. And I think that is also a lesson of like, you know, just continuing to stay present in the moment of whatever you're doing, because like you said, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you think back to that time and realize like how quickly it just flew by. And, yeah. and as you said, like, you know, you're in the middle of just completely a radical, different way of living. And, and you're like, well, this is going to, you know, change. And it's so easy to just like, let life continue to, you know, uh, change you and get used to some of the, you know, the amenities and things that we enjoy here in the United States that you may not have in, in other countries. Yeah. You know, we did our best to blend in, <laughs> but, you know, when you're, you know, obviously not from there. And uh, I would, every day I was in a white shirt and a tie and I had a little badge, you know, that had my name on it. And so, you know, we obviously were people that uh, we sort of, um, you know, it was obvious we weren't from Mexico, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> in fact, I, I'd go to a store and they'd ask for identification and I would say, so I, I guess you can guess I'm not from Mexico, right? And, you know, they'd always laugh and we'd have a little, you know, we'd have a little conversation about that, but um but, uh, you know, we did our best to try to understand them and to, uh, to blend in as much as we could or to at least have them know that we were trying to, to adapt to their culture and to their language and, you know, and not, not ever, ever compare 
um, life in the United States with life in Mexico. It's, it's, a, it's a futile thing to do. And, um, uh, you know, if you just, you, you, there's no purpose in comparing a place where you've lived all your life to a place where you're really a guest in the, in the country. And that's what we considered ourselves. We were, we were guests of the Mexican government in, in their country. And we wanted to be respectful of everything that, that was, that was Mexico. Awesome. Well, well, thank you for sharing, Bruce. Um, so as long as we're kind of like in that topic of, of looking back in, in, in your own life, what do you feel like you wish that you knew uh, 20 years ago that you know now? Yeah, um, it's a great, great question. And uh, one, of the, one of the things I, I think that I have learned now, I'm still learning, but I wish I would have known more or, and practiced better is really um, listening to the people that I, that I work with, listening to the people that I supervise, listening to the people that I manage and um, not um, thinking that I had all the answers on my own. And I think I'm much better about seeking the counsel of, of those around me. I have, I have four vice presidents now that report to me and I, I don't make any major decision without seeking their counsel and getting their, their viewpoint on things. And I probably 20 years ago didn't listen as much as I, as I should have and res and respected the opinions and the advice and the perspective of others. Um, and I think the leader who doesn't do that, doesn't listen, is a leader who's liable to make mistakes. And because of, because of that, that, I suppose, stubbornness, um, you know, there were mistakes along the way that I made that probably could have been avoided had I been a little more um, open to advice and counsel and, and, and seeking advice and counsel rather than just saying, okay, I've got this figured out on my own. And I'm going to go straight ahead and implement what I think is the right thing. Where do you, where do you think that came from, Bruce? The stubbornness or the lesson? <laughs> no, the stubbornness. Um, you know, I think um, it, I, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I just think it's, it's just sort of the way that I, the way that I was, you know, I think we all have, we all have some, uh, some flaws and some challenges and some people have different talents than others. Um, I just, I just um, had not taken the time probably to, to really think about leadership, learn about leadership. I had had some leadership, fairly significant leadership experiences outside of work in my, in my church assignments, church activity. And in those, I was a little more, perhaps independent um, uh, in the way that I led and the way that I was expected to lead. And so I probably made the mistake of thinking some of the principles that I practiced in, an, uh, in, a, in a church environment would also apply in a professional environment. And I found really uh, through some painful things that that's not the case. 
in the church environment, there was some instant respect because of positions that I held. In the work environment, you have to earn that respect or you can lose that respect uh, very quickly if, you know, if you're not, uh, if you're not a good leader, if you're not a capable leader, if you're not a listening leader. And so some of those things that I did in one environment didn't work in another environment. And, uh, uh, and that was, that was a mistake on my part. I was, I, you know, I just thought, okay, I've got this figured out. And I guess that was just my nature in, you know, in, in some ways I, w- I was raised an only child. I don't know if that's a, an excuse, but I never had to, you know, I never had to get along with anybody, you know, it was just me. And so I had, you know, I obviously had to get along with my mom and dad, but in a family, I was, I was an only child. So I didn't have that, you know, that give and take and the, the negotiation and the, you know, an older brother, an older sister, or being the older brother to a younger brother or younger sister to sort of develop some of those, those important skills. So um, but I, hopefully I've learned them now. Yeah. When I think about, I think that's an awesome point for the body of Christ in total, because, and, and, and I'm saying this with like the utmost respect and recognizing that it's gotta be a healthy balance. But I, I do feel that sometimes we get into challenges when we put our religious, uh, to like this pedestal that like every single thing is gospel truth. And we put them on these pedestals that they're, you know, it's going to be hard to basically, you know, uh, for them to ever do wrong. And then you get led like down blindly into wrong pathways. And, um, and, and then to your other point, like, you know, it's so healthy to go get varying perspectives where you don't have, you know, just constantly like whatever you say is like the way that it needs to be in this environment. Cause when you then move out of, from a religious setting into a secular setting in business, it's the exact opposite of that, you know, and, exactly. and that was a hard yeah. lesson that you had to learn. I remember yeah. we, we took one of our friends that's a priest out on street evangelization in the last couple of months. And, uh, it's just this for him as a Catholic priest was completely outside of his realm of what he was used to. Yeah. And, you know, cause you're around your, your parish and everyone's like, Oh, father, you know, you know, you know, thank you for this. Thank you for that. And then you go out and he wasn't even wearing a collar and just the, the exact opposite of what you get when you're talking to people yeah. about Jesus. And uh, I think it was a big eye opening experience for him. And uh, yeah, so thank you for, uh, you know, speaking to that. And I, you know, I bless others that, that, you know, ultimately, if you feel like if this is resonating for you and you're, you're sensing like, hmm, maybe I do have a little bit of like entitlement within my position that, you know, go take on different, different uh, experiences that are going to push you to, to basically like have to leverage your influencing skills and relationships and, and, Versus just the title that and the weight that that title brings with it as well. So yeah. awesome. Um, I also wanted to ask you, you know, uh, it, you know, it sounds like, you know, you have, uh, you know, that we're in good company <laughs> in that, that you've got a lot going on in your life. So how have you found kind of like the way to balance the, the demands that you have on your life of being a leader with the other demands uh, in your own personal life? Yeah. Um, you know, I have a, a good friend and respected mentor when I've talked to him about balance. Uh, it's, you know, the response is balance is bunk. You know, you're just never going to have 
things in balance. But um, he uses the um, the example of the the Chinese acrobats that balance plates on a you know on a stick. Mm-hmm. They spin them, and you know you get these various things spinning. And when one starts to um, slow down, you have to give it some momentum again, uh, or else the plate's going to fall off and, and break. So you pay attention to the thing that's most urgent is really the is really the the message. And um, because it it is impossible to ever have our lives in in complete balance and complete, um, I would say, harmony. We can be in harmony with God and harmony with with Christ. Uh, uh, But it may not mean that we get to spend as much time focused on that as we would like to because of the other demands on our our schedules. Hmm. Um, But it's really a matter of being able to identify what matters most when. You know, for example, my family is the most important thing to me, but that doesn't mean that I'm able to give my family the majority of my time because I have an employer that expects the majority of my, of my time and I come home and I have, I have this little window of time when I come home from work that I can spend with family or, or, or do other things. Uh, but it's, it's really a matter of, of uh, I think, the principle of being able to identify priorities and then discipline ourselves to focus on those things. And not feeling guilty when we can't maybe give as much time to uh, to things that are very precious to us as we would like. I mean, for example, if you talk to uh, someone that has gone to law school or someone that has uh, is a CPA, let's say they, you know, they go to work for one of the big four accounting firms or they go to work for a law firm out of, out of law school. Well, you know, uh, I was talking to a friend that went to law school He's well past this stage of his career now. He's very successful. But he said when he was uh, just right out of law school, he was billing 300 hours a month. Now, that's 3,600 man hours a year. And most consulting firms will use about 2,000 man-hours a year as a, as a measure of what you, you know, of ideal billable time. So he was, he was billing, you know, another 60% beyond that. And that was his life. And he was working seven days a week. And he's a devout Christian. Um, but that was his life. And so for him to think about balance, it was, you know, I just have to eat maybe once a day, <laughs> you know, to keep alive. But then he had to, you know, get, get back on the, on the job. That was what was expected. That's what, that's what he had to do. And so, but when you have discretionary time, then you focus on things that maybe you know, that are things that maybe you'd like to do, but there will be commitments that, um, 
that that life imposes on us and we just it's it's a matter of prioritization i think and recognizing that if we ever get to a point that when the things that matter most no longer matter most then that's when we need to make some course corrections because we're headed we're headed in a direction that's not healthy did you ever did you ever personally feel like you you had your life and priorities out of alignment or was that just uh i guess something that you've learned along the way but you know luckily having mentors that have guided you to make sure that you put the the first things first yeah um you know so this was probably 20-ish years ago, maybe more. Uh, so all of our children, four children, were at home. Nobody was married yet. Um, I had a very demanding job. It was during my time at Logitech. I was traveling probably about 40% of my time. Uh, I was... I had about an hour commute each way from where I lived to Fremont, California, where Logitech was headquartered. I had a very demanding assignment um, in in the in my church. I was I was responsible for entire congregation of people, about five hundred people. I was their spiritual leader, um, and I felt I felt so stretched. I I felt like a rubber band that was about ready to just snap. Um, you know, pressure at work was intense. Um, you know, just a grind of a daily commute. And I, <laughs> I'll confess this, I never did, you know, I, ne I never did for act on this, but I felt like I was, you know, just one more guy cutting me off on the freeway away from some road rage incident, <laughs> you know what? And days there were just some days where you just felt so stressed and uh, you know I had to sort of step back and say okay I've got I've got to manage this better I've got to you know I I uh, you know I, I enjoy running and so I was you know I going for a run getting exercise uh, became very very important to me and I, I had to just find ways to work that in and just sort of step back and say okay I've got to I just got to catch my breath here and and uh, and you know, hit the reset button to some degree. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing. Yeah, I fortunately got to join a church in my late twenties that, uh, and and there was a leadership group within within that group, and and they had basically th there was a guy who kind of similar to your friend's story of the attorney, basically like his when he came into into the faith every single relationship was ruined that he had on the personal side because of how much he had prioritized work over his family. Mm -hmm. And basically like he was in tears when he said like, please, Christopher, please, I know you're in business. Do not make the same mistake that I made by basically putting work over your family, because I promise you that it's going to be the biggest regret of your life. And, and that really like really impacted me hugely to be able to learn that at such a young age to recognize that like, okay, like there might be some things that we have to sacrifice that like of our desires of what we want in this world yeah. from a financial yeah. standpoint, but then the equity that you get in the relationships that you have 
are are bar none so ridiculously just rewarding and the investment just it just the return just pays over yeah. and over again so yeah. awesome um so uh so yeah so two more questions bruce uh, we so we talked a little bit about kind of like your stubbornness and and how you had to break that in order to turn into the leader that you are today. Are there any virtues that you feel like just come naturally to you or that you've been really gifted with that um, that you can share with our audience and and you know help us to learn from that? Um, I think people can sense that I'm a very sincere leader. Um, and that I, I genuinely care about them. Um, I had somebody tell me once, and I, you know, I, I hesitate to, I mean, it's, it's probably not a virtue to have to talk very much about your virtues, <laughs> you know, but, <laughs> but I, had, I had somebody tell me once that I was working with, they said, I don't think you understand how much people enjoy working with you and around you and, 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 and for you. And I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, and I, you know, I, it's not that I consider myself some great charismatic leader, but I, um, you know, with the four vice presidents that report to me now, uh, I think to a person, they would say, because they left, you know, they left situations to come and work for me. I, you know, I, I hi, I've hired them in the last four years. And I think to a person, they would say, I came because I wanted to work for you. I came because I wanted to work with you. I came because I understand your vision and I want to be a part of what, of what you, you have envisioned for, for Ensign College. And I honestly, Christopher, I don't exactly know what it is about me that would make them say that. I, I truly don't. I just know that they feel that way because of, you know, and through the process of getting acquainted and interviewing and, and things. And in, in the case of a couple of uh, a couple of my vice presidents, there are people that I've known for, for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, they they left good jobs. In the case of two of them, they moved from Rexburg, Idaho, to Salt Lake City to come and be a part of what we're doing. So, if there was anything, I, I guess I would say, I, you know, I, I I tend to be someone that people enjoy working with and for. I think that they know that I'm sincere. I, I try to be a transparent leader. Uh, you know, when people ask me a question, I give them an answer. Uh, and I give them as much of an answer as I can. Sometimes there are things I can't answer as completely as they would like because of the nature, the confidential nature of the question. But, um, you know, so if there was one thing, I guess I would say, you know, I guess I would say that it's that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think that um, the world is dying for authenticity and people that are are being who God made them to be. So I applaud you, Bruce, for, for being that man and being willing to be sincere and truthful to people in, in as much as you possibly can, especially uh, in the leadership role that you are. So how can people get a hold of you or what your company is doing? 
Okay, so um, we are Ensign College, E-N-S-I-G-N College. Uh, my email address is uh, B-K-U-S-C-H at Ensign.edu. And I'm happy to give you my cell phone number. It's 801-834-7170. I'd love to hear from any of you out there that uh, if anything that I've said is meaningful or you wanted to... Uh, you know, we want to talk about some of the things that we're doing. Uh, one of the things I'm most excited about with our work at Ensign College, if there are any educators out there that are listening to this, is what we're doing with our learning and teaching framework and how we're helping students take responsibility for their, their own learning. And um, uh, it's, it's, a, it, it's been a great, uh, a great uh, experience so far. We're uh, five years into this initiative and and uh, are seeing great progress. Um, I, gave a, I gave a couple of TED Talks about this. If you wanted to look me up, uh, Bruce Cush, uh, TEDx Ogden in June of 2019. You'll, you'll, if you've got 15 minutes to spare, you'll, uh, you'll get a good overview of what we're trying to do with learning and teaching. And that's one of the things that has been uh, so gratifying for me in my, in my role now. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely put those links into the show notes as well. Uh, would you be so kind to close us out in prayer? You bet. Happy to do that. Heavenly Father, we're very grateful for this time to spend today uh, discussing leadership and experiences and, and most importantly, um, our relationship with thee and with thy son. We're thankful for talents that we are given. We're thankful for weakness that uh, humbles us and points us to thee and to thy son for help and for strength, for guidance, for counsel, and for mercy. We pray that thou wilt make us equal to the tasks that are given to us, that we will always remember that thou art our father, and we are thy children. And these things we pray for in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed the episode where we discussed all things going bald. <laughs> Just joking. If you enjoyed the episode and the podcast, will you please subscribe on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or Spotify? Or you could also share it with a friend. That would be tubular. I hope you have an awesome day.